What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? We're here on the shores of beautiful Lake Fork. Today, though, it's not that beautiful. I mean, it's it's beautiful in its own way, but it's got a lot of heavy mist and rain and mud and all kinds of stuff coming down and coming into it. And uh, it's cold outside. It's miserable. And I have a cold inside <laughs> my head. Uh, so I'm sorry if I sound weird and nasally. But uh, I'm sitting here in Lake Fork Lodge with... Everybody's favorite co-host, Casey Smith. What's happening, dude? Well, I'm rained out, so it's 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 kind of bad because you can't get any work done, but it's kind of good because I can get some work done. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. And uh, I've been getting a lot of stuff done around around the house and just different business things I've been needing to take care of. I do know this. I can remember many days like today when I would get out of school, elementary, junior, senior, whatever, and... Uh, thinking that I was going to go have a great day on the lake with my granddad, and it ended up being like 45 and misty, mm-hmm. and you're just scrambling to catch a fish. Yeah. It's not fun. No, it's not really. And I bet it's even worse for the dudes who travel from, like, Missouri or Illinois or whatever and come down here and fish, you know, like all pumped about their, like, spring fishing vacation, and you get here, and no, it's not 60 and sunny. It's 45 and rainy. Yeah. yeah. It's like when we go deer hunting and it's – 75 and sunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of wish they could swap those a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, no, it's actually let me uh, – so I knew that one day I was going to have a rain-out day, but it was actually, you know, four or five hours until the storm hit. So I went out and checked a few cards and set a new camera and stuff that morning, got mm-hmm. out pretty early and, and uh, put the, the boots to it and, and uh, covered a bunch of ground real fast. But found a few things, shot a rabbit. Yeah, so that's fun. Found that's a deadhead. Yeah, and uh, oh, got man. had a pretty good card pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
which we I did. just shared with you. Yes. Teenager's on there several times. He is. He lives. He lives. How many times was he on there in deer season? Between that one and the other camera, he's on there. Well, let's say just the other camera. Just, just the first time. I think All I can remember is him being on there once. Yeah. That was in November whenever we were hunting elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, ever since then, he's been a ghost. We were, like, worried about him being alive. Yeah. And then we picked him up on a different camera, and then went back and checked this one, and he's on there quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's still hard to put, like, a good pattern to to what's going on. But I think I think um, Sogo's kind of East Texas hunting. You know, we were mm-hmm. talking with a buddy the other night after the – the uh live podcast that we did um uh, with stormwater creek and uh you know he hunts private mm-hmm. out in our area and some of the and you know just basically across the board in east texas man it's just tough you know it's just it's like big woods but with like still a lot of food you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. uh between the greenbrier the different forbs the acorns like you've got You've got for uh, food everywhere, I guess. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's it makes it uh, tough to makes to, you a good hunter, though, man. Yeah, I, I love think it. so. I think so too, man. I yeah. mean, it's uh, it really makes you pay attention to every single detail, which is what we're doing mm-hmm. with that card pool. We're put, you know, we're really pouring over it and trying to figure out where is he betting and on what wins, like you know, because there's not really like a food source to like say, oh, there's a destination food source they're going to end up on at night. So all the does are going to be going this way, and you can see that the buck trails go this way, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. It's it's not as easy as that here. So uh, we're really just trying to figure out where he's betting more than anything so we can get close and hope for a day when he's going to be cruising for does and it's going to be cold, you know? Yeah, yep. and what's cool is it's uh, <clears throat> the end of February, and we really should have – well, I wouldn't say we should have, but a lot of people's minds are on turkeys. Yeah. We're still talking about deer. So. <laughs> yes, but today, we we're actually going to talk about turkeys. We are, yeah. man. That's uh, Man, you did that so well. <laughs> the uh, We've got a couple of uh, really cool guests coming up here in, in a little bit. And uh, we did this this podcast, actually. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, we did this a while back. But we've got a biologist that works for NWTF, Annie Farrell. Uh, she works really closely with the state on a lot of their projects, um, reintroducing the eastern turkey um, here in eastern Texas. And uh, we've got uh, a uh, what would what's what's his title? Regional director, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay, Jackson Harris, regional director. So mm-hmm. he's a uh, he basically uh, told me, you know, he's like uh, the guy that makes the parties happen. So <laughs> and, I believe uh, him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's he's a cool, dude. They they've got a lot of good input, and we'll get to that here in a second. Um, I guess one thing I would mention is that, uh, you know, even though we've been going out a few times and doing a few things, hanging some trail cameras and stuff like that, they've been kind of uh, hurried um, attempts. So we're just trying to get our cameras out with a couple weeks left before shed season. Mm-hmm. And so we really haven't done a lot of PLC documenting or anything like that. Um, but we did release, we have released two PLCs from this uh, postseason so far. And one's got a couple of really cool, uh, really big deer, you know, pictures in it uh, from our little circle through the Midwest several weeks ago. And the other has got uh, some kill shots in it. We were shooting all kinds of deer out of season. (laughs) (laughs) No, we shot squirrels and rabbits and did a little small game thing. So if you haven't seen that, go to our YouTube channel. And we just now started our new playlist um, called the 2018 Public Land Chronicles. And there's a squirrel right there. 
Uh, <laughs> and uh, we've got another playlist that we have started called uh, Element Evals, and it's all gear reviews. And uh, we, we've put four or five of those out so far. Uh, they're fun, man, fun to put together, fun to do, and um, I don't know, hopefully fun to watch. <laughs> I've had some friends say that they're fun to watch, but I think it's just because we're uh, making fun of ourselves the whole time, and they like to do that too. So mm -hmm. uh, those have been good. Other than that, um, I'm trying to think. I hadn't really done anything but moving my house. So Yeah, you've been a busy, busy man. Yeah, I have. I'm, uh, I'm starting to try to recover right now. Um, we've been, like I said, miserable weather and rain and just moving in those conditions. You know how uh, you and I stayed, stayed out to like 1030 one night. It was like 35 degrees and raining on us, and we were working on some things so the house could close. And I've basically done that during the last several days. <laughs> so like, like, uh, not before last, I, it started raining about three and I got my feet wet and my, and it started raining on me and I got my body wet and until 1am I didn't dry off. Mm. And so, and it was like, you know, just above freezing mm -hmm. all day. So uh, it was, is uh, it's probably why I don't sound good or feel good right now. But um, hopefully what we'll, our plans in the next few weeks here are to let these cameras soak that we've got. Do we have all our cameras out? We have every camera that I know of, at least, out. Yeah. Uh, we kind of had some discrepancy on, like, which cameras we had and did not have <laughs> the other day. <laughs> because part of that problem is that we got a bunch of cameras stolen last August, mm -hmm. and it's kind of, like, messed with our inventory. But we're going to let those sit for a while and then pick them all back up you know, probably late March, something mm -hmm. like that. Make sure we got every buck shed on there and uh, and then kind of inventory, clean up and do everything, kind of reevaluate and mm -hmm. see who's on there. Yep. I'm pumped. We've had uh, the <clears throat> pool that you just had, we had a deer that we didn't expect at all to see on that that camera mm -hmm. um, from a different area. And so it's it's exciting to kind of see them come through. And yeah. I don't know, it kind of it hurts you from a standpoint of like men mentally you're just like, how do we pattern any of these deer mm -hmm. if they're going to move that much and across all these different barriers that you assume are barriers, you know, and it's just, it's crazy. But, uh, I guess the one thing you hope for is that, uh, at least out here, you can hunt in the rut and, you know, have deer come through mm -hmm. long rut, you know, and, and so hopefully you have deer that'll, that'll move in and out. And one day you're sitting there, whether it's your target buck or not, it's a good deer and it's on public land and you shoot it, you know, mm -hmm. or you pass it. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. That some people do that. Yeah, they yeah. do. They do. Some some people. One one person, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh that's our plans kind of. We're um hoping to get to go do a turkey hunt, but uh, I don't know if we're gonna end up doing that or we not. We don't have a great plan for it right yet. It's yeah. just such a struggle to because I'd like to, but all the turkeys live pretty far from us. Mm -hmm. Or if they're closer to us, they're expensive to go hunt. You yeah. know, and I'm not into that. Mm -hmm. Like I like to hunt on permissions or on public land. It's right. how I like to do things. Yeah. Uh, because my pocketbook tells me that's how I like to do things, you mm -hmm. know. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. We're going to try to make something happen. I don't know. That's still a little ways off. Turkey hunts are, you can throw them together a little bit better than you can whitetail hunt sometimes. Oh, you yeah. know, it doesn't take near as much planning, and you can kind of scout as you hunt kind of thing. Yeah. But not to say that if you want to do some preseason turkey scouting, that's a pretty good idea. Mm -hmm. I wish I had that opportunity. Definitely. But I'm probably going to do a little uh, – public land scouting here maybe tomorrow i'm gonna to be rained out for 
pretty much 40 days and 40 nights, I think. So <laughs> um, it's uh, I found a couple places that are a different direction that I kind of would like to go look at and might, might drive to and, and at least kind of do a little window time mm-hmm. better than staying at the house all day because that kind of oh, drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah, for sure, dude. I, I saw the biggest buck I've ever seen in our home area yesterday Man. in the middle of the day eating because it's cold and wet. Mm-hmm. And I got pictures of him. Yeah. I, mean, I just got those in the email whenever yeah. I was on the way over here, actually. He looks really good. Dude, I couldn't get my window, my passenger window down. It wouldn't go down. It'd come in. And it was raining anyway. And so, like, most of my pictures are not that great. They're, you know, through a window and it's mm-hmm. raining and stuff. But dude's big. Yeah. He's got, like, six typical on one side. And I couldn't tell how many on the other side. But I think uh, he's got five on that mm-hmm. side. You know, I might actually uh, put a picture of that deer on the story tonight. Be cool. Just to see what people think of it. Dude, the bad thing is I didn't get a great picture of him. Yeah. Like, I wish you could. I've got some more pictures I'll show you yeah. that are raw, that are like, you can see his main beams and how far they kick back and then go forward mm-hmm. and how heavy he is and everything. And some stuff when his head was down, he didn't hardly put his head up at all. Yeah. And so, like, it was hard to get a good <laughs> picture. But, like, even the picture... That I sent you with his head up, like his good side doesn't look that good. It's kind of short looking because mm-hmm. the tines are headed back towards the camera and stuff. But we need to uh, go do some door knocking and see if we can't squirrel hunt, dude. Shed squirrel hunt. Well, <laughs> maybe not include the shed part, <laughs> right? Just the squirrel part, exactly. But, you know, yeah. If you find something, yeah, <laughs> throw it on the backpack. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. He's a uh, he's a toad, man. I mean, this deer. I don't know. I'm not the greatest at guessing deer here in our area because you know like score wise because mm-hmm. i hadn't just hadn't hunted a lot of them and seen them up close but i just i just don't see how this deer doesn't like make like gross in the 150s i mean he's big yeah he's a stud he's man big. he's got some mass so you know yeah. it's it, i would like to know and i'm we the next time we talk to a QDMA, qdma guy we need to ask this question but if there are areas of the country that have greater body size discrepancy than others, you know, because I know that even in the Midwest, there's bigger body deer and smaller body deer, but it just seems like here, man, some bucks are just little baby bodies. And then some of them are, you know, pretty good size. You know, we've got recently got pictures of uh, a couple of eights that are like giant bodied, like mm-hmm. the one over at TL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tank. Golly, this new buck showed up, and, like, I mean, this dude. I mean, he's in there with some Texas does, you know, or mm-hmm. whatever, but, like, he still looks like just a big old, like like a Midwestern buck, you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, yeah. And so it's just it's hard to tell. Like, you see that deer, and then you see some other deer. Like, we've had some deer that I think we might have mentioned this before, but he's like a – he's basically like a spike, with, but they're, like, shaped like main beams, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're not that big still, but – um like he looks like he, there's no way he's like a year and a half buck, but his his antlers show that he would be like first rack, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> and so I don't know. It's it's so crazy the the deer hunting world. So fascinating to think about it all and look at it all and try to make assumptions when I mean half the time we're probably all of us are wrong about <laughs> things, you know. <laughs> I mean, That's right, man. It's what makes it fun though, because speaking, there's no like set answers. Yeah. And, and speaking of QDMA, like they do these little uh email like uh quizzes or what not quizzes, but uh they poll the audience like how old do you think age mm-hmm. this buck, you know? And man, there's like there's like several times where people like the over 
the majority of, of votes go towards this age class, and then the, the QDMA experts are like, well, actually, we think he's this, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> and this that happens, you know, it's just people don't know from sub-region to sub-region what those deer look like and body-wise yeah. and everything. And anyway, it's a, it's a blast trying to figure all this stuff out. It's also uh, sometimes frustrating, a bit like fly fishing. Yeah. Which I'm excited to do some of. I'm a little bit more jacked up about that than turkey right now. Yeah. Well, turkey's frustrating like that. Yeah. It's kind of like hard, but also fun to figure out sometimes. So Mm -hmm. maybe we can uh, talk to some experts who might give us a little insight. I'm all about it, man. You ready to get to it? Yep. Let's go to the interview. All right. We are in Tyler, Texas today at the Roast Social Kitchen. That is per the request of one of our lovely guests, Annie Farrell. What's happening? What's up? Doing all right? I'm doing good. How You're not you tired, are you? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Loaded up on coffee. Plenty of coffee. <laughs> uh, any relation to Will? <laughs> nope. No? Spelled differently. It's unfortunate. Oh, it, man. I, I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to make sure, make sure though, you know. You there must know. be a lot of nice ferals in East Texas, though. I get it all the time. Do you? Do you? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know any ferals. Except for swine, that's much different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be different, I think. Uh, so why don't you give us a little rundown of who you are, where, you, where your background is. And, well, I'm know. Annie Farrell, like you said. I'm the district biologist for East Texas for National Wild Turkey Federation. I'm originally from Georgia, graduated from the University of Georgia, go dogs. Yep. Moved to Texas because my husband works for Texas Parks and Wildlife. <laughs> he moved here five years ago, and I just followed him and lucked out with this job. I have a background studying turkeys for my master's degree in grad school and fell in love with the species and so this job came open and i jumped on it it's the best it's the best it is <laughs> that's good to know it's cool. good something I like to aspire it. towards i love it when people like <laughs> like their jobs you know yeah i, I, I would hate to be miserable in my it's job nice waking day. up every day loving what you do for sure yeah. i agree with you i'm in the same boat mm-hmm. um over here across from me. Over here across from me. As opposed to me, who you're like, really doesn't like what he does a lot for a living, but so has that, a lot of fun on the side. That's right, yeah. yeah. So we've got KC Smith over here, as usual, the co-host. What's happening, dude? Hey, just uh, on my second cup of coffee, so I'm feeling you, pretty good. I'm yeah. thinking about pizza is what I'm thinking Ooh, about. Ooh, I can smell it a little it bit. It smells so good in so here. They've got a, like an oven over there that's like kind of like that wood fire, but it's also stainless steel, so... See, it's they, like new meets old kind of thing. It's kind of cool. They define ro- uh, roasting uh, on their website. Oh, which do is they? Cooking, I guess, like dry heat or dry air, essentially. Is That's how you roast Whatever. Things. I don't know. It's Yeah, the definition of roasting, so I would imagine it's some kind of similar fire-roasted convection oven deal or something. Yeah, sounds so, good. Yeah, anyway, uh, diagonal adjacent to me, we've got Mr. Jackson Harris, the reason we've set this thing up, basically. What's up, man? Glad to be here. Yeah. So what's uh, what's your background, man? We've been talking a little bit, but fill us in. Sure. Well, I uh, I work for the National Wild Turkey Federation as well. I'm the regional director that covers East Texas. And uh, I'm from southeast Alabama originally, so when Annie said go dogs, I kind of kind of got thrown back <laughs> in my seat. Hurt your heart a little bit. It, it did, yeah, but, but we manage. Uh, Annie and I worked together pretty well for two uh, adversarial SEC fans. Um, <laughs> SEC. Uh, you know, Annie always works on how we keep turkeys, um, you know, doing well, populations doing well. And uh, I work with the volunteers and members of our organization, the NWTF, uh, to keep them engaged and uh, save the habitat, save the hunt. So she's, she's on the ground work, and, and I get to work with the people who, uh, 
who helps support her across East Texas and the country. Yeah, and you're uh, you're based out of College Station now, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cool. I work pretty much um, from just north of College <laughs> Station all the way up to the Red River. So most places in uh, Northeast Texas have a local NWTF chapter somewhere nearby, and I get to work with those volunteers. So if we're bragging about having a good job, I think I've I've got one that breaks up there with the best of them. Yeah, yeah. One of the best. It sounds fun. One of the best. Man, <laughs> NWTF is a good place to work. That's it. Everybody <laughs> likes it there. Yeah, you should get a job with us. Just not mine. <laughs> if you leave That's East it. Texas, you can have one of our jobs. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Go somewhere yeah. besides Texas, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got a heavy Texas listening base, but uh, we, we have, I mean, all 50 states are listening to us right now. So uh, we want to we kind of just bring this broad uh, perspective out to them at first and then maybe kind of fill them in on our situation here in East Texas especially. Um, but I guess the first thing I'd start off with is I go to Subway <laughs> and I get a turkey sandwich. What's the difference in that turkey that I'm eating and what you guys are working working with right now? Well, I'm no expert, but those are not wild turkeys. <laughs> well, obviously there's domestication in there. Right. We're working with the wild turkeys and right. mainly eastern wild turkeys in East Texas. Right. A few Rios here and there, but mm-hmm. we're mainly Easterns. Do you uh, work outside of East Texas at all? Uh, we work closely with our partners around the edge of the territory, but this – the country split up kind of uh, with a network of, of field staff, and right. Annie and I are both on field staff. I'm on the volunteer side, she's on the conservation side. So, no, I, I, I'm specifically working with those volunteers, but we've got some great chapters in Oklahoma, other parts of Texas, Louisiana and stuff, all across the country. But, right. uh, but it's a nice little network. We stay abreast of what each other are up to and, and steal good ideas from each other, mm-hmm. pass them around. Yeah, so, well, you know, we're talking about the turkey sandwich from Subway or whatever. So where, how... Did we go from, like, this beautiful brown bird that does all these cool things to this big white fat thing? Mm-hmm. Like, how did that process happen, and why do we, like, why does the president pardon a big white bird at Thanksgiving? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand how, like, that became what people know as a turkey. You're stumping me already. Oh, man. <laughs> I, would say, I would say. I don't know a whole lot about agriculture. What about you, Jackson? Yeah, so, obviously, uh, it's a lot like other domesticated animals we've yeah. got, right? Obviously, um the cows that get turned into your Big Macs or your T-bones are not uh, the same exact <clears throat> variation as their ancestors, mm-hmm. right? And there are some, well, we're talking about the difference between wild turkey and domesticated turkey, although I will say most people who get confused about which wild turkeys, you know, we advocate for are confused about whether or not they're in the woods or in a bottle. I get a lot of, <laughs> of, of wild turkey bourbon fans, and they're a huge national sponsor of ours, and uh and honestly, I might have a better job recruiting people if I was like, no, nah, we advocate, we advocate <laughs> for the bourbon. Uh, but, but, yeah, we're talking about the difference between a wild turkey and a domesticated turkey. And there are domesticated turkeys uh, in some – I mean, you can still get domesticated turkeys that look very similar to a Rio mm-hmm. wild turkey or mm-hmm. an eastern wild turkey in their coloring and feathers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same way with other s- sorts of poultry or livestock or whatever. They've just kind of been developed – for that specific reason of of eating and being able to survive on a farm rather mm-hmm. than in the wild and that sort of stuff, but uh, so yeah, they're say- they're cousins. They're in the same family. Oh, they're yeah. just very distant, and yeah. ours are more fun to hang out with. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say that like that's like a branch off of the eastern, since that was probably the first encountered by Europeans, and then this the domestication process started from there. You know, I'll make a fool of myself if I try to guess that one, but uh, but there's you know there's kind of domestic specialty species that uh, are in caribbean islands all up and down the east coast uh in mexico and stuff they kind of got passed around you start to throw in 
going over to Europe and being domesticated and then coming back. And you're, mm-hmm. and you're talking, you know, several hundred years ago now. And um, the lineage of the current domesticated turkey that turns into your butterball, I'm not positive <laughs> on. <laughs> but I'm glad where they've arrived at because that's delicious. But the ones that still right. uh, walk around the, the Piney Woods region of East Texas are also very delicious, but a little bit more difficult to get your hands yeah. on. Yeah, a little, yeah, more, a little <laughs> more lean, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, okay, so... We're talking about wild turkeys, and there's four, maybe five varieties of wild turkey. We right? have five subspecies. Five subspecies. The okay, so can you tell me the difference in a species and a subspecies, and like why that exists? So the, they're all uh, wild turkeys. Uh-huh. Meliagris gallopavo. All Meliagris gallopavo. And then <laughs> there you go. You know, they it. just they develop as you know as they're they live in different habitats. They're mm-hmm. all specialized to something else based on their DNA. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have slight differences in their DNA and they have scientists have just figured out that all of these in the southeast that have this similar DNA are different enough from these in Texas and Arizona and New Mexico that they can be they're both wild turkeys but they can be different subspecies mm-hmm. sure so can you tell me those five let's see eastern Rio Grande Merriam's Goulds Oscillated. Oscillated. Osceola isn't a... Osceola. Okay, yeah, so... An oscillated would be... An oscillated is in Mexico. Mexico, Yeah, okay. so that's that's number six that we don't have in North America. Right. I mean, we have North America, not in the U.S. Not in the not, U.S., right. <laughs> so, we, had a, we had an issue with this <laughs> on one of our earlier podcasts where uh, one of our buddies, Brian Koch, Ultimate Upland, he uh, was asking... <laughs> Okay, so he was asking about, you know, all the upland birds, and he was like, he acted like he knew how many species there were. And so we were going through all the stuff, and he's like, and then you got the turkeys, you know, you got the, and, and eventually it turned into that there was an ocelot somewhere in there. Yeah, <laughs> real confusing words between oh ocelot and ocelot. Isn't that was, a cat? It was yeah, hilarious. That's right, yes. that's right. Which probably preys on Rio Grande turkeys in far south Texas. So yeah. all back around. So, uh, and this is just kind of a personal question, but a ocelated is actually a separate species or no? I thought I'd heard that. I didn't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, yeah. I, I don't speak Spanish. I'm sure that information yeah. is. You have to ask That's probably him. widely yeah. known in Mexico. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> They're cool. We saw one mounted at DSC the other day, and it's They're like beautiful. Oh, yeah. awesome, awesome bird. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that would be super cool to say. So you're talking about, like, you know, the separate subspecies, and you said well ago that we have Easterns and then some Rios here. What causes, I mean, what keeps them from hybridizing in, like, there being, like, a really blurred line between there as opposed to, like, you know, here's the line of, that's a Rio mm-hmm. and this is Eastern. Well, you're right. They have been hybridized yeah. in East Texas, and the line kind of is blurry. Okay. <laughs> We're right okay. on the edge of Eastern territory. Mm-hmm. We're right on the edge of Rio territory. Mm-hmm. And when they are together, they're all wild turkeys, so they're going to breed. Yeah. The same is true up through Oklahoma. I mean, people go there to hunt the hybrids. I mean, mm-hmm. just to have another, a notch on their belt, as mm-hmm. it were. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where, do they, where, is, where do they draw the line? Is it like Interstate 35 or... Kind well, my line that I operate on is 35 East, mm-hmm. and the line is very blurry. I would say, I mean, just east of or just west of here in okay. Tyler, okay, where you kind of get the trees get a little shorter, mm-hmm. they get a little more sparse. That's it, the line is kind of blurry on that. Right. So, if you mm-hmm. look at the habitat, you can see that it's going to be curvy all the way down to the coast. and you're going to see them all mm-hmm, in right. one spot. So this, I'll, I'll direct this to Jackson. Why does culture 
Do you do you fly fish at all or fish? Yeah, yeah, fish. fish yeah. Okay. Uh, you, I, y'all mentioned bass fishing earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. So everybody flocks to Lake Fork in March and April and May because the fish are spawning. Sure. And it's probably I would say widely accepted that it's okay to fish for bass on the beds. Some people don't like it. Some people don't do it. But I would say the majority of bass fishermen love that period of time. But when it comes to trout fishing, trout guys do not like fishing for trout on the reds, which is their bed, you know. Um, And there are other, let's see, like lots of game departments in different states, especially like across the West, try to set up um, their rifle seasons outside of the rut, you know, stuff like that to protect the species. Why is it widely accepted that spring turkey is like the time to do it, the thing to do. Culture accepts that as like being an okay thing as opposed to, you know, what some of these guys out west to think maybe. Yeah. Yeah, well I think you've you've cultural is is different state to state, region to region, right? So I mean there are some folks in other parts of the country that would say, man, fall turkey hunting is where you know, is where it's at. Where I grew up, I mean, um, at the end of spring turkey season my dad would always give my mom a bouquet of flowers just to thank her for putting up with him, you know, getting up so early every day of the spring turkey season. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if he didn't kill a bird, I mean, that was secondary to if he could hear a bird before he had to go to work that morning, it was going to be a really good day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my, my point is this. I mean, there are uh, – there's a huge Rio population, um, you know, west of here as you get out towards the middle part of the state. In Texas, and there's guys there that, you know, there's fall turkey seasons, and they view it differently um, because they see them while they're deer hunting or whatever. Um, I'm all for people getting outdoors. I'm all for people hunting the turkeys um, legally, obviously, and whatever gets them going, I'm all for. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say uh, there is something special about just the feel of a spring morning and hearing the turkey gobble and uh, and everything's bright and green and... um, Nothing else is going on too much, <laughs> hunting-wise, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's turkey season. I mean, that's a, that's a big chunk of the calendar uh, yeah. when you, you know, at least where I come from. And I think that that's the case in some parts in East Texas. And what we'd like is to keep giving people, more and more counties, the opportunity to have a turkey population that will allow a hunting season, that will allow, you know, kids to get into it when I, you know, like I did when I was, you know, much younger and and feel that and experience that and pass that on right now we're we're still working hard though and that's where annie comes in i think what's what's important to touch on so far as culturally goes and what's what makes sense at hunting season that sort of thing is that biology dictate hunting seasons dictate when people get out and and you know hunt for the birds and that sort of thing instead of culture what you don't Mm -hmm. want is to say well our culture is such that we've always done it this way we've always had our deer season here or we've always had our turkey season here this is what this is when turkey season is coolest. If that doesn't make sense bio- biologically, then it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. we've got we've got to care about the next generation. That's why people like Annie are so important to not only the people who like to hunt, but the people who have to make the laws relating to it. Right. Sure. So as a follow up to that, and this might be more towards you, Annie, uh, it's pretty common practice that Rios are hunted in the fall, but Easterns not. Uh, it, is there a bio- biological difference there that kind of makes that up? Well, in East Texas, there's a reason why turkeys are not hunted in the easterns are not hunted uh-huh. in the fall they're only hunted in the spring there's only 15 counties open and it's only open for less than a month mm-hmm. and that's to help the eastern wild turkeys because we want to be able to see them and 
Yeah. I, I, I would like for them to become a nuisance species. Oh, yeah, frankly, be great. And yeah. Texas, because, you know, all across the southeast, I was born and raised in Georgia. I went to school in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. They are all over the place. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that here. And so I'd like to see that happen. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because, like, I just got back from the Texas Hill Country going down there and, and mm-hmm. doing a doe hunt, which was great. And you see turkeys like every everywhere, and the the guy I'm there with, it's his family ranch. Like they, like hold them like in a lower regard than what I really would like to see because they're just like they're just like, you know, just Nuisance. stuff that's out there. Yeah, yeah, they're just like a buzzard or a roadrunner or something. You know, like <laughs> yeah. they're they're just so used to them. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just such a stark contrast because me, I'm like, there's a turkey. You know, like around <laughs> like if we were to see a turkey on the way here today, we would have freaked out. Yeah. You know, well, partially because it had been like a really great omen because we're coming to talk to y'all. <laughs> you know? But, yeah. you know, it's just not something that's that you commonly see. It's just yeah. kind of funny to see that cultural difference, you know, between those two birds and, and two subregions, you know, of the state, I suppose. Yeah. So do, the, do they, I mean, do the biologists think that they can keep better tabs on the harvest uh, with just a spring season? Or why, is it, why do they, I mean, why do they shut off the fall season? Right now, they, they just want to give turkeys the best chance yeah. that they can to survive. At this point. So, okay. If that's the case, why not just take the seasons away? Well, you know, in some counties, they are evaluating taking seasons away. Yeah. Um, And that's why there are only 15 counties open, because those counties, there's a lot of science that goes Mm -hmm. behind the scenes of establishing seasons and where they're going to open them. And so in those counties that are open, there's a well enough established population Mm -hmm. of turkeys do you feel that um it also is kind of like a tool to say that if we can encourage people to hunt these birds they'll care about the birds so that it will like encourage conservation as you know i feel like to me like i don't ever get a chance to hunt chocolacas okay and you know there's a little bird we (laughs) talked about before they're way down on the you know in south texas and i don't know a hoot about chocolaca conservation you know you know what i'm saying and it's because i'm i don't have any hunter opportunity at the bird but, like, if there was a chocolate season in East Texas, I might, like, look it up and see what, what they're all about and then realize they're nowhere near here. But you know what, you know what I mean by that, right. though? Like, it, it, do you feel like that uh, y'all in conjunction with, like, wildlife authorities, um, you know, you kind of set those seasons to say, hey, uh, let's make sure there's a, there's a hunter interest the in The value yeah. placed upon the animal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think you'd see that since, you know, the days of Teddy Roosevelt. It's been the same ever since then is the – great conservation success story that is north america and particular in in particular the wild turkey as well i mean the correlation between hunters and success of a species is you know direct Mm -hmm. and that being said i will say that we've had such a manic success with nwtf and doing habitat and repopulation works that where we've been miraculously successful since 1973 in New England. We're still doing work here, repopulation in East Texas. But in New England, they got so many birds now that my counterpart up there, the regional director up there, runs into problems where he's like, yeah, why do we need to care about the turkeys? There's so many of them, right? And there was a, there was like FedEx or UPS couldn't deliver to a neighborhood in Ohio last week because they were getting pecked off yep. off people's front porch by wild turkeys. And obviously those people are like, I'm not, I'm not paying money to save these, right. these birds. Um, but on the flip side, the people I talk to are on the opposite side. They say, well, you know, I'm just not going to give my time to put into this organization because I'm not a turkey hunter mm-hmm. yet. So yeah, they'll, they'll always be that. We just got to strike a happy medium. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I heard uh, I had a buddy from Seattle that was down here um, was it last week, I guess. And he he lives obviously up in Washington. He said that this, the 
uh, I don't know what their title is, but the fish and game department essentially in, in <laughs> Washington um, is paying like almost like an insurance company paying for property damages from wild turkeys right now. <laughs> They're paying like, What's that like? civilians. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't know any. Yeah, exactly. It's such a crazy concept <laughs> to even think about. Like, I mean, first of all, I can't see that any game department should have the money or budget for that, you know? Yeah. And then, no, on top of that, like that amount of turkeys, I'm no can't believe it. You I mean, know? we have that for mockingbirds. Can I get that for mockingbirds <laughs> on my car, you know, uh, uh, mirrors? They're running into my windows. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, or, yeah. So, um, on that point that you're making about, yeah. like, uh, you know, why should we conserve turkeys when there's a a ton of them right in some of these places uh we just well we went this summer to uh, uh, the trcp media summit in in minnesota we talked a lot about the farm bill and a lot about sage grouse conservation and the point of sage grouse conservation was that a uh just because this you know kind of the, the the base level and then it gets deeper but just because like they're doing good right now it doesn't really mean they're doing good like it's just a good year yeah. right and then kind of the deeper thing was that when you conserve sage grouse you're actually conserving all of these other things that inhabit where the sage grouse is and it's just kind of like the poster child for mm-hmm. that you know echo region or whatever yep. yeah. is that kind of how the turkey conservation goes you could look at a turkey as an umbrella species like yeah. you were describing the sage grouse because if you're conserving for a wild turkey, you're also managing for the endangered red cockaded woodpecker, the Louisiana pine snake. You're also managing for white-tailed deer. Mm-hmm. They're Bob all going to Bob white quail. Bob yeah. white quail. You're you're managing for all those different types. So, you know, depending on the person that you're talking to, if they're really into endangered species or mm-hmm. other big game species you can yeah. talk to them about that well you know if we're managing for turkeys we're also going to be managing for these other species sure so you should support us yeah, and, yeah. So and saying, help us manage for you're wild turkeys if we manage for the turkeys then the ivory build wood- woodpecker will come back exactly right? yes. no. Right. <laughs> no 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 <laughs> I mean, don't quote me on that one I, I i hear that as something that people say a lot about you know why they're you know, not getting involved or whatever. But I also see a lot of stickers in East Texas for our partners at Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I'm like, well, obviously there's still people out here uh, who care about the mission overall. Mm -hmm. Obviously we're not in the Rocky Mountains, so you're not going to see a Rocky Mountain Elk um, here in Tyler. Uh, But, you know, you should still play a role in that organization and a lot of the other ones. Same thing with, like, you know, members of CCA in Nebraska. Obviously Mm -hmm. they probably don't get down to the coast (laughs) often. (laughs) My my point is this, is like uh, if if I've got clean water in in East Texas, do I not need to worry about clean water in Wyoming? If I've got, you know, if if there's no forest fires here, do we not need to worry about proper forest management in California? And obviously we do. What what is good for habitat across North America is good for habitat across North America. And the inverse of that is anytime habitat or our hunting heritage is threatened the nwtf and its members across the continent say no we care about that Mm -hmm. even if i don't have an eastern subspecies right now in my backyard in east texas i care about it enough because hopefully we'll get some soon but in the meantime i'm going to care about what the populations are elsewhere i'm going to care about forest management and clean water and clean air Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, on that same note we're doing a lot of work with pollinators right Mm -hmm. because if you're planting all these native warm season grasses you're attracting pollinators and that is a a big area to focus on turkeys are going to be attracted as well as the monarch butterfly which is a hot species Mm -hmm. right now and you know bees and Mm -hmm. so well uh, that's actually something we talked about at trcp with uh garrett long uh yeah so garrett uh, mentioned that i think he said um a third of our food comes from is 
It's, it has something to do with pollinators. It has something to do with pollinators, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. So, and if we're losing them, that could be as we're growing in population. Yeah. You know, the human human race is mm-hmm. could be a bad thing. So, yeah. listen, Annie's keeping us all alive right now. I, I just mean, want you're you're welcome. I want you to get that across. I'm, that's yeah. why she's here, man. She was the last to be invited. Man. I had to find, I had to weed my way through all you idiots. You know? Yeah. No. And then you know, I guess to take it on a micro level, like the pollinators are food for poults, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. right directly. Yeah. So like there's that sure. as well. Uh, and it all just kind of makes sense as a big. It's like move. So, you know, on that note, what does it, what does a turkey need to, uh, you know, like, what are the things that that turkey needs to survive and to um, proliferate? You know, I mean, what is it, to nest, to breed? Uh, what roost, are these things that yeah. they need? Roost, yeah. Turkeys are described as habitat generalists, where they're going to be using multiple different types of habitats throughout their life cycle. So. You know, in the fall, they're going to be want, want to be in the forest foraging on hard mast and, you know, the acorns and the hickory nuts. And then, you know, in the spring, they're going to have their broods. So they're going to be using more open areas. You need about five to 30 acres of open habitat that would be on the edge of a forest, usually, where they can go and have cover. They can have their insects that they're going to eat when they're younger. Um, which are grasshoppers, grasshoppers, beetles, spiders, ants. Mm-hmm. I mean, any little bug that crawls, they're going to be trying. So, to if you're eat. scared of bugs, then turkeys are your friend. <laughs> turkeys are your <laughs> what about, friend. What about those stink bugs? Do they eat those? You know, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't personally seen one eat a stink bug, yeah. but how about if you got hungry enough, you eat? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. He gets know. weird about smells. Smells like, real weird about smells. <laughs> we talked about skunks on the way here, actually. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. So. Um, you know, through any time I ever see turkeys or, like, the idea of turkeys comes up, you're always looking for, at least me, like, a riparian environment or, like, at least somewhere in close to some source of water, mm-hmm. okay? Is that really the case? And if so, why aren't they doing better here, like, in our subregion of East Texas? Because I feel like, you know, we live in a place that is full of meadows and creek bottoms, mm-hmm. right? Which, in my mind, is, like, classic turkey habitat, but they're not doing as great in some of the areas it is pretty classic turkey habitat they do need to be close to water obviously for hydration Mm -hmm. they need those big bottomland hardwood trees to roost in they need the forest to hide in and they need (laughs) the open areas to forage in Mm -hmm. and what i have seen in my experience across east texas is that it's just too thick they're all the understories are just Greenbrier and yes, yeah, and yep. Yopon and the the woody understory is just too thick. And mm-hmm. you know, if you stand in a forest and you can't see through it from where you are, mm-hmm. a turkey's not going to go there. Mm-hmm. If you're down at the turkey eye level and you can't see through it, it's definitely not going to go yeah. there because it needs to see. That's what it counts on to mm-hmm. find predators. Yeah, and, I was going to ask: Is that a function of biology or like predation? Is it straight up predation? Predation kind of thing? would be a huge thing. Yeah, if they can't see, they're they're an easy target. Mm, right. Everything uh, wants to eat them. They're tasty. Yeah, they're tasty. Right. I mean, they <laughs> say <me> that. <laughs> <laughs> they say that if the, if turkeys could smell, you would never be able to kill one. Oh, I believe it yeah. for sure. Ever. I've seen turkeys at a, at a corn feeder like ninety yards away, and you mm-hmm. scratch your nose and you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do. They do, man. Impossible so, to bow hunt from a tree no. stand. Yeah. That's tough. So they rely on their eyesight. Mm-hmm. The lights just yeah, a little bit, a little, a little mood set. Yeah, yeah. It's good. My eyes adjusted finally. Yeah. So, so, so they need just an op- They need an open understory. So how do you manage that? Well, there's but with 
man proper management with like thinning and burning. Yeah. yeah. And that just doesn't happen enough mm-hmm. in Is that East Texas because as a whole. Okay, so let, let me let's back up a little bit. Turkeys are endemic. Like we should see a turkey right out here in this creek. They have existed here before, yes. Okay, so uh, is does that mean that there was fire on the landscape before we came in, and mm-hmm. that has changed? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, and that has altered the habitat quite a bit. Absolutely. Okay. It's the fire in historically fire would come through a landscape and take down all of that woody encroachment, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of stuff that turkeys are not going to go into because they can't see, mm-hmm. and. So now people are just letting their properties grow up. You know, East Texas is mostly private land. I want to mm-hmm. say 97% mm-hmm. or some crazy number like that, private At land. At least, I would think. <laughs> At least, yeah. yes. And, you know, there are, there are these small parcels of land as well. So there's not these huge areas that are burning mm-hmm. or being thinned. Um, historically, timber was also thinner and not managed for loblolly and, right. mm-hmm. and all of that. So... So is there another way besides burning to do that? I mean, or is... Herbicide. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you're going to have your best success if you are you burn and then herbicide. Because mm-hmm. I, the reason I asked that is because my dad, we, ne- we never had property growing up, but my dad just bought like his first kind of hunting property. It's 30 acres. And um, he's like scared to death of burning. And sure. I'm like, dude, we need to burn, mm-hmm. you know, and we get, it's so thick in there and there's no turkeys and there's not any turkeys anywhere near us, but, uh, for deer, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he's just scared to death to burn. And I don't know, like, I, I don't, I haven't done enough research on it yet to know what, like how to ease his mind and to convince him to do it. I mean, I, you know, the best thing that I've ever heard, someone compared a rainforest to our ecosystems here. Rainforests need rain. Our landscapes need fire, mm-hmm. like the rainforests need rain. So yeah. That's cool. You're right. Yeah. So we need fire. And mm-hmm. I have heard that a lot. People yeah. are just afraid to burn. Yeah. And well, so we host a lot of landowner workshops where you can hold a torch yourself mm-hmm. and light it off with a bunch of trained professionals mm-hmm. there watching and making sure you're not going to light yourself on fire mm-hmm. or, you know, start a <laughs> wildfire or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So the NWTF hosts those workshops? We host them with our or, partners. Oh, okay. So, like, with Texas Parks and Wildlife or Texas State and Forest Service. Mm-hmm. Cool. Where's I've, the place to find out where, that, where and when those are going on? Just on the NWTF website or...? Sure, there's a lot of, there's like a lot of, I'll put it this way, there's a lot of loose threads you could pull on and get the same result, right? So you can talk to Annie or I on the NWTF side, you can talk to Texas Parks and Wildlife, somebody at the Forest Service, even if you call up your local extension agent with mm-hmm. uh, Texas a AgriLife Extension, you know, they, they know when those workshops are going on or they'll know who to call. I would say in, in, to respond to what your dad said, I think he's absolutely right. Fire, obviously, is never something you should do or take casually Mm -hmm. but it's also very detrimental to not put fire on the landscape right Mm -hmm. it's going to look different and you know it's a lot less scary to think about weeds growing and and killing your habitat Um, but there are professionals and they're literally there to help not only public lands get fire on the landscape but to help private landowners learn how to do it themselves and to have people come out and help you do it and that sort of stuff so nwtf also has burn trailers in Mm -hmm. east texas we have what three burn trailers i think it is that has all the necessary equipment you could need to have your own prescribed burn. So you just and you can carry rent, it out to your property? You can rent that, yes. Rent oh, that's cool. That's pretty neat. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Very Does that cool. include so, like a little 
Bobcat like or something? A... <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. All of your torches and your shovels. Yeah. And, right. yeah. yeah, what about a gobbler in five hands? Can you get that in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, mini stocking program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I, I've heard that, and this might, you probably don't have an answer. It's just kind of anecdotal, but uh, some state wildlife agencies have a fire guy. And like they're regional, and they'll send a guy out if you need. It might might be Texas A&M Forest Service or something. I don't know for sure. Texas A&M Forest Service and Texas Parks and Wildlife. Parks and Wildlife has their regional fire coordinators, and uh-huh. then they have their statewide fire coordinator. And so you can contact any one of them. There's also the private lands biologist with Texas Parks and Wildlife, and ev- every county in East Texas has one, mm-hmm. and they are a really great reference as well. Yeah. So do that. Does it cost to have them out there, or are they no. really? So tax dollars paying for this guy's or right. gal's job. <laughs> so you might yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. well I, I would say yeah. it's probably worth noting that, yes, it's tax dollars, but it's also your hunters and fishing license, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. goes Pitt to your Rob- Texas All Parks and Wildlife. All of your Pitt and Robertson yep. dollars will fund Texas Parks and Wildlife. Yeah, yeah so, so you've already paid for it once. And to explain the connection between me and Annie and, and our partners on the state, obviously our volunteers that I work with raise money in their local banquets. They have a big party. That money goes into our super fund which gets allotted to annie and annie talk a little bit about how we take that money that was raised at local banquets leverage it use you know work with our partners and then that becomes people who are on staff to help people put fire on the landscape yeah every year we take proposals of habitat enhancement proposals from our partners at texas parks and wildlife and a&m forest service and we are able to allocate a certain amount of our budget that comes from our banquets in texas to these projects, and then they get leveraged with Pittman-Robertson dollars from Texas Parks and Wildlife. So if someone requests 5000 from us, we're able to apply another, what, 15000 So I think it's a $20,000 project in the end wow. from Texas Parks <clears throat> and Wildlife. Which is pretty cool. So your dollar that you spend on your bottomless beer cup or your raffle ticket at the NWTF banquet is actually like four at least dollars, if not more, when it actually gets onto the landscape. Yeah, and right. so that's, that's cool. That's, that's how we work together, and we couldn't do it without Texas Parks and Wildlife and the Forest Service and, and without our volunteers that show up and spend a little money. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah, in 2017 alone, we spent $200,000 on habitat enhancement projects because we have that Pittman-Robertson dollars. your region? Yes, in East Texas. Well, all of Texas. Okay, all of Texas. Yes, so okay. we have a West Texas district biologist as well, and mm-hmm. so he had some of those projects. Gotcha. So does that, that, does that go from 35 all the way out to the Trans-Pecos? Yep. That's the West Texas? All, all of Texas. That's the entire like, state. So there's two huge. regions. So, so yeah, he has he area. has West Texas and Oklahoma, and I have East Texas. <laughs> West Texas and Oklahoma. Oh my wow. Gosh. This okay. may be a good, so, so far as narrowing that down, obviously <laughs> we, we went through a period where we were spending money wherever we thought a good habitat project mm-hmm. could go. But Annie can tell us a little bit about uh, more about our what we call our focal lo- landscapes, which are our priority areas for putting the most money for the most impact in the most needed places. Okay. Right. So we have six focal landscapes, and we're – located in the southern piney woods that's our focal landscape in east texas Mm -hmm. and pretty much all of east texas covers the southern piney woods whereas in west texas he has um they're the what are they oh shoot Plateau, Amer- stuff like that. Uh, great, great open spaces okay (laughs) that's what their local focal landscape is called and then within that we have Okay, that's America's Big Six. Yeah. And then we have inside that our focal landscapes. And so I, I am not positive on the number, but I want to say there's eight focal landscapes in Texas. East Texas is pretty much all covered yeah. by the Southern Piney Woods. And then he has, like, the Canadian River Basin. And I can't Which tell you. Which is in Oklahoma, right? Right. It well. goes through um, 
the Panhandle of Texas sure. okay. and yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, like Meredith is on the Canadian River. That's up right. There. Okay. So, so basically, that money we raise every year and that gets leveraged isn't spread completely across the right. state of Texas. It's put wherever it's, it's going to make focused. the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's focused in all in these areas that our higher ups have deemed most important. Mm-hmm. Most important uh, because of the need for restoration, or because do I mean what are the stipulations? Do they do they explain that at all? Uh, well, yes, I'm sure. If they ask, if you ask questions, <laughs> yeah. they certainly do. Right. Yeah, it's it's most important based on you know where do, where do we have the greatest potential, right? So where are the areas okay. that might border public lands, which means we yeah. can work with private landowners in this area. And their property happens to butt up with public lands that we also have a hand in kind of guiding the habitat processes there. And then all of a sudden, you've gotten a whole bunch, a big chunk, right? And so, obviously, you take out metro areas, which, you know, if you start to look at a map, Texas is becoming more and more connected by metro areas. Mm -hmm. And so, you take all that out, and then what you're left with based on... um, what do you call them? Not riparian zones, but watersheds. And it's basically based on different watersheds yeah. that need yeah. the most amount of work. Okay, mm-hmm. so interjection, you just talked about urban zones. Like, this summer we were in downtown, I mean, in the city limits of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and saw turkeys. Yeah. And we can't even see them in the country around here. Like, why, why, why can that happen? I don't understand it. Don't think about it too hard. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> this boggles my mind on a daily basis because, yeah. you know, I was... I grew up seeing turkeys everywhere, and yeah. so it confuses me too. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and I don't have a good answer for that. Right. <laughs> just their turkeys, and they're just they're habitat tricky. generalists. They're going to live wherever. But yeah. I say that, and then we don't have them in East Texas. So yeah. mm-hmm. well, let me put it this way: Let's say you had a really, really hot pan or pot on top of the stove, right? It's very hot. If you drop a little water in there, it'll steam up immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Drop a little bit, it'll steam up immediately. It'll, it'll disappear, it'll evaporate into the air. If you pour a whole bunch of water in that pot, it'll sit there. Mm-hmm. If you poured enough water into that pot, it'll go over the sides. Mm-hmm. My point is this. I'm guessing that the habitat around Minneapolis has it's so many good. turkeys that mm-hmm. they're starting to overflow okay. into areas that they wouldn't be. Yeah. Right now, in, East Te- in some parts of East Texas, we're, we're slowly putting in enough water to where it's not evaporating as soon as we mm-hmm. get them into the landscape. Okay, mm-hmm. so they, they started in Texas block stocking where they would put 10 to 20 turkeys in five locations across each county. Mm-hmm. And now they've turned to this super stocking where mm-hmm. they're putting 80 turkeys in one spot mm-hmm. and hoping that they are successful. And they are seeing more success than yeah. that. So when did, that, uh, when did the first stockings start to happen? When did they start focusing, going, we need turkeys here in East Texas? Well, the super stockings started in 2014, mm-hmm. and we've stocked over 650 turkeys since then in East Texas, just East Texas. But prior to that, but when they were doing the 5 to 10, is, I mean, in Texas, was that in the 90s? I'd say that was the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. You weren't around then. I was not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not all in Texas. Just, yeah. just, I think we're celebrating this is our 45th year, I guess, is the math. We started in 73, so that is a very small chunk of time in which we've, right. we've gone across the entire country. In 2004, we had reached our goal. We had wild turkeys in 99% of inhabitable lands in North America. And that was pretty impressive because when we started in 73, it wasn't just for kicks. It's because cool. somebody had to do something or yeah. we weren't going to have any yeah. turkeys. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, you're talking about these drops of water and releasing birds and stuff. Uh, where are you getting these birds from? Are we, like, capturing them or, yeah? These birds, these eastern wild turkeys that we're getting are coming from Iowa, Missouri, North Carolina, West Virginia. Okay. Um, I think in the past they've come from Can Kentucky. we? So Can Missouri we... has a 
as a bunch then. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. come they don't allow hunting in the afternoons for them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. So that's where you're going back to like that cultural thing yeah. more than, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think you're right. Yeah, again. Yeah. They think it's unfair, I guess? I, I don't know exactly the policies and how that works, <laughs> but I'm guessing that Missouri's just like every other state, and at the end of the day, you obviously want to work with biologists and what they say needs to be top priority. Um, but it's it's politics, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if somebody says, well, uh, you know, I don't I don't believe in hunting on Sundays, and if there's enough people in your state that think that, then you're probably not going to hunt on Sundays either. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the case in some places yeah. in the country. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. At, at the end of the day, culture does still play a major role in it, but science uh, mm-hmm. should always be prioritized. Is there obviously. something to where, like, uh, captive birds, captive bred birds don't do as well? I know that's kind of how it is with quail and sage-grouse and stuff. Is that how it is with They've turkeys, too? They tried that and yeah. nixed it because when you're breeding birds and then releasing them, it's mm-hmm. never a good idea in any species. Really. Because of, like, disease? Disease, in, and you, they're almost domesticated at that point right. if you're yeah. breeding them and releasing yeah. them And this was they're back not, in the day. These are lessons right. we've learned. Mm-hmm. Right, a, a while ago. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... the Let's be frank. Turkeys are not like super smart. They just have great instincts, right? Right. So, like, if you're watering them down, they're like the smartest further. dumb bird I've yes. ever <laughs> witnessed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, on that, like, are they like a, a animal where if we you can reach a certain population goal, then you're good. Like, they will continue to breed, but like they're like everything wants to eat a turkey, right? That's mm-hmm. why that's partly partly why they're there. So bobcats and coyotes and ev- hawks and everything have something to eat, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you can get the population levels to a certain point, will they self-stabilize at that point in time? Is that the the idea well, or the goal? The idea is to reach a carrying capacity where they do can where they can self-stabilize, mm-hmm. but we aren't even close to that right yeah, now in East really. Texas. The the other at variable least. there is that the the reasons that we don't have turkeys in East Texas anymore from when they were here way back. Mm-hmm. Those still exist, right? Because right. we were just talking about urbanization. We were just talking People. about yeah, and 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 having access to the resources that they need. And there's humans everywhere in Texas, and they're very proud to be here in Texas. But the turkeys don't <laughs> care about that. <laughs> <laughs> My, yeah. So at, at, yes, I think you're right. If we got to a certain population, yes, but we'd mm. still be battling the same things that made the population go away to begin with. Conservation never stops. So 2004 was our peak, but and y'all told me not to be depressing, but 2004 (laughs) was our our peak, but but we've dropped a considerable amount, something like 15% 15% just in the last several years. Across the country. And so, so, and Easterns, I think, are probably the most Slippage. I don't mm. really know, but go, going back <laughs> in the wrong direction. Term. Yeah. Like Dropping. Obviously, I don't get paid for that part. <laughs> but uh, but Easterns are, are primarily, yeah, they're, they're particularly susceptible. But uh, So, yeah, yeah. you got to stay vigilant. I mean, it's not exactly like other species that people really like to hunt. Turkeys take a lot of work mm-hmm. to keep them going in the modern context of humans across the world. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I guess we've talked about the, the urbanization in te- within Texas. Uh, and other places, and obviously, due to our anecdotes, we we know they can exist there in in a urban habitat. What are the other variables or the other factors that are affecting turkeys here for us in East Texas? The biggest thing that I can harp on is the thinning and burning and habitat okay. management. If mm-hmm. we don't have the proper habitat, you're not going to have turkeys, and that's what we're seeing across okay. East Texas. So I. This is this is country boy slang right here. Country boy talk. Slippage. But I've heard it's a lot of slippage. <laughs> but I've heard uh, I've heard you know this is this is obviously not coming from biologists. But you hear all the time fire ants and wild hogs. They're yeah. definitely playing a role mm-hmm. because we don't have turkeys and we are stalking them. 
in order for them to be successful, you have to have successful nesting. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have successful nesting, you're not going to have a growing population. And so in the egg form, when they hatch, that's, that smell gets released into the air and fire ants will jump all over Pretty them. Quick. Mm -hmm. Right. So if the poults cannot get up and moving fast enough, they're going to get eaten by a fire ant. Mm -hmm. But if they can make it to that certain point where they are big enough, they're going to just eat the fire ants. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. going to pick them right what, off the ground. What does that mean? Like, is that hours or days or weeks? Or, I mean, how does that look? Uh, that They would probably start eating fire ants within a couple hours, mm -hmm. I would say. If, they, if, if they're up and moving and they can eat, they're going to mm -hmm. eat the fire ants. Okay, this yeah. is anecdotal as well, but I knew that I remember hearing this story like – 15 years ago, okay, mm -hmm. the trout in the Guadalupe River in Texas, you know, a non-native species, but we all enjoy them because it's cool to have trout in Texas. Okay, they were <laughs> eating fire ants, and it was killing the trout because that's not, you know, a non-native is eating a non-native, but, like, the so ants would... So many non-natives. This is what the <laughs> world we deal in now. Thanks, Columbian Exchange. I told but... y'all not to think so hard. <laughs> I know. But I just, I could see it being problematic, like, hey, a fire ant looks good, and then, like, you know, it eats like 30 of them, and they sting it on the inside, and it dies. You know, I can see that world where that happening. Like I said, anecdotal, not really an answer needed. <laughs> okay, but let's take this, like, to the, to the feral hog thing. Uh, I worked for two years for wildlife services and did feral hog control and coyote control and stuff uh, down on the coast in Brazoria County. And um, I did quite a bit of feral hog control on, uh, well, adjacent properties and some. We did aerial operations on some of the national wildlife refuges down there. And... Feral hogs would decimate the alligator nests down there. And I can only assume that it's a fairly similar nesting situation, right? And you have a hen that leaves the nest during the day to go find a tom and comes back. Well, she's, well, it's not like a hen's going to fend off too many hogs anyways. But, like, you know, you're leaving a nest unprotected. I can only imagine that hogs are super tough on turkeys. Turkeys are not too defensive. Yeah. They're not going <laughs> to fight off a hog, even if they have pults. Mm -hmm. They're just going to let them. Mm -hmm. yeah. their, their main instinct is to avoid. Mm -hmm. yep. And so with hogs, they're not necessarily targeting turkey nests, but if they come across one, they're going to sure. eat it because they're going to eat anything. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, hogs are a factor. Fire ants are a factor, but it's not the main reason so you're not seeing turkeys. if you say right now we don't do anything about the fire ants or hogs, but we go and do slash and burn exactly how we should. Turkeys will come back. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, cool. That's, 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 that's encouraging. That's I'm, encouraging it's news. Encur yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yes, yeah. I, I think so. But it's going to take a lot of work to get sure. to that point. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of people, a lot yes. of landowners in particular, who are missing the forest for the hogs, as it were. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or for the fire ants or for the whatever it is. And at the end of the day, like, if you have the opportunity to put fire on the lens landscape and properly manage what you can manage, because mm -hmm. everybody that complains about hogs and says they're the reason for not having turkeys are also the people who say, well, you can't do anything about hogs. Yeah. But here's one thing you can do. Let's put fire on the landscape, and then we'll worry about everything else. Mm -hmm. But right. it's it's not necessarily a death by a thousand paper cuts type thing. Like there's one big thing we got to worry about, and that's <laughs> taking care of that's taking care of the piney woods landscape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's well, it's super fun to say, oh, hogs are the problem. Let's go shoot them, but not yeah. shoot all of them because we want them around, right? But it's, it's a whole lot harder to self reflect and say, hey, I actually need to burn my property. Yeah, and try yeah. to do work. Yeah, exactly. Get out there and cut and buy and new stuff. thermals and go play at night. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. People so. talk all the time about the predator control and the feral hog control, yeah. but if you kill 
all the predators, more predators are just going to move in. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's said that a million times. I can kill so many pigs, and they're still going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You, know? I mean, you have to kill 70% of the population in a year to even maintain your current feral hog yeah. population. And I think we're killing 5 to 7% of feral right. hogs in Texas a right. year. So let's <laughs> exactly. talk about that for a second. Yeah. You know? uh, so, but are they... Uh, so are they going to are they going to grow to the point though where they are a problem for turkeys and there's no way to have them recuperate hogs? without yes without hogs doing are already hog a problem. I mean yeah. I'm saying like <laughs> where because you said that they if you didn't do anything with the hogs that you could you know do the slash and burn and turkeys would come back to the landscape. Well, what happens if the hogs just are twice as many? Well, then you have another problem years. on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have that problem. I'd rather have the problem of hogs yeah. on well-maintained landscape. Right. Because yeah. right. my thought is they're a lot easier to kill when you ain't got all that underbrush. No, it's, <laughs> true. it's true. It's very true. Say, is if you're slashing and burning, you're not only are you right. like increasing her, turkey habitat, but you're taking away places these hogs can hide, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. in turn, you're not. It's and this comes full circle to like you know the turkeys are the umbrella species. We manage for them. We take care of a lot of other things, right? I hope we get to that problem where we are bat- battling out an epic population of wild turkeys and an epic population of, of hogs <laughs> that we already have. <laughs> I, I would love for them to battle it out, but right now it's not even a fair fight. The, the turkeys no. aren't here because we don't have a place for them, and, uh, and the hogs are here because they're hogs and they do whatever they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The main thing is the habitat management, and that mm-hmm. is our big fight right now in yeah. East Texas. So, I mean, how do you... How do you... I mean, other than, like, getting here <clears throat> on the podcast or some kind of media and telling, you know, explaining that to people, is there a way that... NWTF is actively trying to inform landowners here in East Texas that, hey, we have to start burning stuff. You know, like we have to do this. Is there any program that you guys are, you know, or, or is there something you're talking about at, you know, banquets or whatever? I mean. Yeah, I think absolutely. So our mission has always been since the beginning that uh, we're worried about conservation of the wild turkey and preservation of our hunting heritage. I mean, that's our mission. Right now we're saying it as save the habitat, save the hunt. And so we say that at every banquet. And, and honestly, these banquet experiences, which if, you're, if your listeners aren't familiar, uh, it's, you know, you show up, you buy some raffle tickets, you have dinner with your buddies. Um, you might bid on a live auction for, you know, outdoors products or home goods or whatever, prints of wildlife or what have you. You have a good time and you go home. But that's really the, that's really the honey to get the flies there so we can talk about the sport of wild turkey hunting and we can also talk about what it means to save the habitat and for obviously depending on what kind of position you're in if you're a private landowner or a partner with our public lands um, managers and that sort of thing then the more we can talk about those good practices the better but yeah Mm -hmm. we we bring people into the flock through these banquets through our outreach events we have a program called women in the outdoors a program called wheel and sportsman for people with uh yeah, physical disabilities to be able to get out and enjoy the sport and learn about what habitat is good. And then we have a youth program we call Jakes, which is Juniors mm-hmm. Acquiring Knowledge, Ethics, and Sportsmanship. So That's part convenient. Of it. It, ain't it, though? Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost positive we started with Jakes and worked backwards. <laughs> That's pretty good, man. That's but awesome. anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah, education has, from the beginning, been a big part of it. We want people to know not only about the wild turkey, but about hunting heritage and how those two things work together. And since 73, that's been that's been our MO. That's been what we do. Yeah, for sure. You know, we were talking about the super stalking oh, right. um, earlier. And um, I have a buddy who, um, let's see, he's got a buddy. We've got, we've got a mutual friend who um, is a biologist for the state. And I don't know if this is how this came about, but his dad, the biologist's dad, uh, 
he started, I guess, some kind of initiative uh, where we're, uh, he and, and my buddy Cody are collecting signatures from property owners. And there's a program. I had it on my phone, which now is in camera mode. Um, <laughs> but the, the you need 10,000 acres worth of <clears throat> cooperative uh, land ownership. And I guess this could be public or private. We don't have any public there in Raines County, um, other than, I guess, Lake Fork. Uh, but it's just the lake. The water wouldn't count. The water wouldn't count, I don't <laughs> guess. can't roost out there in the street. <laughs> just the <laughs> water turkeys, yeah. Water, yeah, turkeys. water turkeys. Is that a part of the National <laughs> Wild Turkey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, do y'all manage those? Because we'd like to kill a few, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it, it has to, let's see, it has to do with some kind of an upland um, initiative, I guess, that uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife is dealing with. And I'll, I'll read over this a little bit. Um, but you need 10,000 acres worth of, of signatures. and uh, Contiguous. Contiguous. Yeah, right. it has to be contiguous. So we're um, he's passing that on to me at this point. But I think the signatures are already there. So all I have to do is, like, submit this, this paperwork. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure how that goes. But, uh, I mean, I feel like there are towns everywhere across Texas where there are a few people in that town that know everybody. And it's probably a banker, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> or something. But, like, they know everybody. Um you know, this seems almost too easy. Like, get, you know, but I, I know there's, the, you know, there could be one person that could screw the whole thing up because you got 5,000 acres here and 5,000 acres there and a big, you know, cut in the middle of it or whatever. But, um, I mean, people here in, in East Texas haven't seen turkeys in a long time, you know. Um, I would guess that pretty much people that are alive haven't really experienced much turkey action here I've in East like Texas. I've seen, like, two wild turkeys in my life yeah. in East Texas. Yeah. And, and so... I would think that people would be all over this, um, but I didn't know anything about it until it was kind of pitched. Well, I knew he was working on it the last couple of months, and he pitched it to me recently. Hey, take this over and finish it out, you know? So I think Casey and I are going to try to do that. But, um, I mean, this seems like a something that could be done in a lot of places, especially if you pair it up with, like, some of these WMAs in East Texas. Yeah. Which, I'm, I mean, I know, like, they're doing that, and I guess it's something similar in the Caddo National Grasslands. Um, which has been a big NWTF project, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know anything we about? We have a $1.1 million challenge cost share agreement with the Caddo, Nas- Caddo LBJ National Grasslands. Mm-hmm. Our West Texas district biologist is actually the one that is the project manager on that one. Mm-hmm. But that's a five-year project, and we've already put $500,000 worth of work into that landscape. Mm-hmm. For We've been doing mulching mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> eastern red cedar removal and adding new fences right yeah yep yep so we We, were out there hunting and they were mulching black locusts while we were turkey hunting (laughs) so it was like great that they were doing it we were like but it's a little problematic we're two miles back right now (laughs) like we worked so hard to get in here (laughs) yeah it was uh, it was not fun but yeah yeah, i'm gonna well there's our transparency though turkey hunters know we are active we are we are working on the land if you're out there hunting them you're gonna see (laughs) somebody (laughs) so i quizzed these guys up you know the contractors you know and i was like so what are y'all doing this for like oh well uh uh, I think it's for the turkeys or something. I don't know. We're just we're just out here to clear clear some brush. Who was know? this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we can talk to them. <laughs> we can always do a better job no. of telling our story. <laughs> no, no, they were doing their job well. You know, it's it's kind of like you know the trickle down effect where like yeah. they knew what they needed to do, and that's go find every black yeah. locust and clear it. So they were doing a good job, but it's just kind of kind of a funny thing. We rode our bicycles like way back in, and yes. then these guys pull up in their trucks and go to work. But not. we we did see turkeys though. Uh, we did on public land several Good. times. Were you on Caddo or LBJ? LBJ. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if we can 
There's not enough for us to tell tell everybody where we were. <laughs> Some, somewhere near some recent mulching, from what I gather. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yes. go go look for the habitat improvements. Yeah. Be Please don't there. look at aerials. <laughs> uh, so, I feel like the uh, while he's looking that up, yeah. uh, the uh, the save the habitat, save the hunt initiative yeah. is is very smart and has a very great chance of working. And this is this is why I thought about this a lot. And it's not just because he did Subway a lot, but okay. <laughs> mm, turkey. Turkeys. Okay, exactly. Mm. Not every household, I would venture to say less than one third of households have ever had venison in the household to eat, okay? I would venture to say that 95% of the households out there has something that says turkey on it in the refrigerator right now, right? Mm. People are familiar with turkeys. So it makes sense to people to say, hey, I'm going to go out and harvest a turkey because turkey is food. A lot of people think deer are Bambi. You know what I mean? Right. They don't yeah. want to shoot them. Mm-hmm. And there's that anthropomorphism thing Thank going you, on there. Disney. Yes, exactly. Yes. Disney. <laughs> Luckily, they've never like really Put done a turkey, a turkey in there. Disney thing. <laughs> as far as Could I know. y'all keep it down? <laughs> Let's not don't spark any ideas. ideas over at Pixar, if y'all don't mind. <laughs> the ghost of Walt is listening. Right? I don't think there's too many Pixar <laughs> yeah. people listening. But I to feel this. like there's such a like there's a, there's such a bridgeable gap there yeah. between. Uh, the idea of turkey being food and people wanting to go hunt and like adding a passion to that you know so like what's the step to actually get the common person to understand Uh that's what what they need to be doing then they need to care and they should like see that hey we want turkeys here so that we'll have you know this food source and this ability to go out and gather our own gotta get them hunting first yeah i mean what Mm -hmm. is it 11 percent of people hunt right Mm -hmm. or fish but so. I, w- I would I would mention there. I think what we get into the into terms of, and it's good because it's a call to action. But I think sometimes uh, hunters like myself think, okay, it's us against the world. At least it's us against the rest of America, which really isn't the case. There's a there's a smaller number, a much smaller number of anti hunters mm-hmm. than there are hunters. But as you mentioned, there's a very small number of hunters. So that leaves yeah. a a wide swath of the American public who's like, yeah, okay, I think regulated hunting, yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. probably fine. I think you're you may be onto something there that maybe a lot more people automatically think turkey and equate that with food and responsible harvesting and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, isn't that the challenge? It's not really trying to convert somebody who's against hunting. You can go ahead and forget that. But yeah, you're a, not gonna get them. Yeah, but there are a lot of people who think yeah responsible hunting is good what it comes down to is we need to get more people who are engaged in the sport to where they're they're paying into the Pittman robertson system where they're buying hunting licenses and and supplies and ammunition that sort of thing and on our end with this nonprofit organization like many others in the field we need people who are willing to give of their time not just their sponsor dollars which we appreciate but their time to bring their friends and family mm-hmm. in, to bring their own families and say yeah i'm gonna get my kids involved in this they're gonna help us throw this this party for a for a bigger cause and mm-hmm. that's how we're going to bring up our our kids in this next generation and 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 that's important because it may have always been this way but at least today people seem to be easier to write us a check to say yeah y'all are doing good work here's a little bit of my income i'm willing to share that mm-hmm. than they are say i'll give you two hours every other week or whatever during the spring to help plant a banquet or whatever but people's time is very very valuable so mm-hmm. Uh, the people that we can get who are willing to share some of that and say, no, this is this is a really big deal, and I can play a role in this. Maybe I'm not putting fire on the landscape because I don't have any land access, but you can help us fund mm-hmm. putting fire on the landscape. Sure. You can help us fund all these projects that Annie does day in and day out. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's that people have every single person has a skill set, okay? Yeah. And I'm going to narrow it down to three. You've got financiers, okay, the people with the checkbook. Yeah. You've got doers, people who, you know, get a shovel, get a torch and go do things. And then you've got leaders, people who can tell things, you know, and encourage people to do things. And I feel like quite often, uh, 
you know, NGOs or conservation organizations or whatever, they tend to ask for the dollars a lot. And I think the National Wild Turkey Federation does a good job of this, but if we can take it further still, encourage people that, hey, just because, you know, you're not blessed financially or you don't have a bunch of time on your hands, you can still do something. And there's still, like, a niche for you. Yep. You know what I mean? I feel like even in my own life, like, I'm not a wealthy person. And there, there's times when, like, you know, say – for instance, and this is tough to do, but like say there's something way up north that needs saving, okay? And I can't really do much about it because right. I don't have the money to spread out to 17 different sure. conservation organizations, okay? But there's still something I can do, and that's be a voice. And that's make sure that, you know, that voice is heard on all my platforms, you know? Right. So how do we, like, encourage people to know that, hey, just because you don't have a bunch of money or you don't have land to work on, like, what what can you, what can be done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd like to make a correction. Okay. I don't think that uh, I don't think it was 11 percent. It's like 11 million hunters. So whatever percentage that is, it's a lot less. So it's I think 11 percent is hunt or fish. I think you were maybe maybe. maybe. And then hunting is like six. Yeah, or I'd have like to that. I'd have to look that up. I didn't fact check it, but yeah. I think I just wanted to just make sure that uh, people were fact checking me. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, but, but I think we are fortunate that a lot of the people who don't hunt don't have anything against hunting. In, right. in fact, exactly. st- statistics show they're they're for it, theoretically. They, mm-hmm. ethical, not only do they not have anything hunting. against it, but yeah. they think, yeah, sure, it seems like a good idea. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really not as bad as we like to sometimes get up in arms about. Again, we, we're not going to change the opinions of, of anti-hunters, but we can grow our influence on the people who are already for it or who are ambivalent towards it or whatever, and that's where we can make the biggest impact on, on wild places and wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I found this. I found it. Uh, just wanted to make note of this, too, if anybody's interested in setting something up, up like this, since we're talking about volunteers. Um, interested parties must have management authority of the property, um, so, is that what your see. signature is? Like that they're signing over the management authority to you? Uh, well, no. They just uh, you just have to have management authority to make a signature. So I actually I probably shouldn't have even read that part. But uh, the sites, <laughs> <laughs> the sites. I'm trying to find. There's so much text. Are you uh, reading so, the Eastern Wild Turkey Fact. Uh, sheet? No, this is <laughs> yeah. This is uh, for yeah the, for the Eastern uh, Turkey stocking uh, for the super stocking. Isn't it super stocking? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, so sites interested in stocking must make a written w- request. I guess we're in the Stone Age. Uh, to Texas Parks and Wildlife Department Upland Game Program. So I'll uh, in the show notes, I'll make sure and uh, add the, well, I guess you could write in an email because there's an email address here. So. We're not in the Stone Age, but uh, <laughs> I think I'll what they mean is don't don't call them and say, "Hey, I want some turkeys yeah, and exactly. hang up." He gets <laughs> those sure. kind of calls all the oh, time. Oh, I guarantee you. I know. I know. We talk about stuff like that all the time. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'll put that in the notes so that you, if you're interested in setting something up like that, uh, co-op and getting turkeys in a place that you haven't ever seen them in, like we haven't in Rains County, mm-hmm. or for me, you know. So yeah, the I'll, hardest part for that super stocking is getting enough landowners to participate to get the 10,000. Sure. Once you get that going, it's it becomes a lot easier from mm-hmm. there. But the the process is pretty rigorous. You have to pass a, a GIS, Geographical Information Systems model, and in order to even go to the on-the-ground evaluation. So we do this Habitat Suitability Index where I would come out and along with our Texas Parks and Wildlife, um, Upland Game Bird Specialist, and several other turkey people would come out and evaluate your land mm-hmm. with our own eyes in our own expert opinions. Turkey people. <laughs> Those turkey folks. So like a, a Texas Parks and Wildlife private lands biologist or two yeah. and you know people like that. So cool. tell me this. Uh, 10,000 
acres, right? Mm -hmm. Seems like a very arbitrary, even number, mm -hmm. right? Okay, it, but then you say that you have, like, you come out and do a habitat evaluation. Mm -hmm. So why not 9,000 acres, like, why, but good habitat? Like, why is that, why do we have to have, like, that line of delineation of, like, you have to have at least 10,000 Is that a biological thing, or is that just, like, a... Uh, hey, you got a good chunk of land kind of thing. It, we just have to make sure that there's enough land that a turkey could survive on. They're uh -huh. based on their home range, which I don't remember off the top of my head right now. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> Slap me on the back of the hand. <laughs> um, but based on their home range yep. and how many turkeys we're stocking, how much of t available habitat there is within that 10,000 acres, it, it all factors mm. in. So does that mean like if you get to 10,000 acres, but then y'all come out and say, ah, this is all coastal Bermuda. It's not good. No, it, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even pass the GIS portion of the model. Okay. So, so can I have you evaluate this property before I <laughs> yeah. take this project on? Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of coastal Bermuda for sure. <laughs> well, um, there's also, I don't think it says it on the fact sheet, but the, there has to be a minimum of five acres per opening and you can't, it can't be more than something. There has to be a certain percentage of forest mm -hmm. within those yeah. 10,000 acres. Is there something in that, since we're talking about slash and burn so much, is there something in that clause that says to do this, you have to institute a burning program or anything like that? To nope. make No? Really? But we're going to see that. Uh -huh. If you have been actively managing, you have been burning, you have been thinning, mm -hmm. we are going to see that and say, okay, a turkey could live here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got and you. So if we go out there and it's mostly coastal Bermuda, you've never burned, gotcha. and, but you did pass the GIS, we're going to see it and go, eh, I don't think a turkey would live here, and you wouldn't pass. And what's that's the, happened before. What's the cost on a super, just like one super stocking? Well, one bird is $525. But that being said, obviously, you're talking about, I mean, Annie just described the man hours included on right. everything that goes towards that. Um, so it's a pretty expensive process. It yeah. is. So... Which is but why I mean, we don't take it lightly. So if you get to the if you get to the point of, um, yeah, you guys aren't managing it. Is that like one of the last steps when you say like, okay, well, we're either going to put birds in this landscape or not? You know, what I mean, when you say when you go and you look at, you say, it passes the GIS test, and then you go and look at it, and you say well, whether they're managing it properly or not, or it's suitable. And then it, would it be either a decision, yay, yay or nay? And if yay, we're going to start stocking birds in the next few months? Or It's a point system. So when we go out there and look at it, we evaluate several, many different aspects of your property. And then it, it gets graded, basically, out of, out of 100. Mm -hmm. And it, you pass if you're above 60. But then the average between all of us that were out there is what your final score is. And if you passed and you're in the priority area... Based on the other co-ops that applied, we'll put you in a ranking system, and then that would determine who gets the birds first. And so, will you get birds for sure if you pass? I mean, no, not for sure. Depends so, on how whoever else. Do you go on a wait applied. list at that point in time? I don't. Yeah, that's, I mean, a, that's a good question. I'm not sure. So it just uh, they just stock by whenever they have the budget to buy the birds and take them out there. I guess. Well, they're doing it every year. They've been doing it every year since 2014. So there is a budget for it, yeah. and it's coming from the Upland Gaybird Stamp Fund. Mm -hmm. So people who are buying their Upland Gaybird stamps are paying for this. All right, all <laughs> right, right. Uh, so everyone is paying for this to ha to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that being said, is another reason we take it very seriously because mm -hmm. we're talking about people's people's hard-earned dollars. 
And also, culturally, we don't want to get people's hopes up because they see us releasing birds onto 200 acres of Bermuda grass. And sure. then the next year, they're like, well, didn't we just spend a lot of money to get birds on the, mm-hmm. on the landscape? And then you're like, well, yeah. So we want to give them a good <laughs> shot so yeah. that people don't get kind of burnt out and say, well, it's never going to work. Yeah. Right. We want to give it the highest we chance. Don't we, want, we don't want to drop turkeys on the landscape willy-nilly. Yeah. 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 You don't <laughs> want to release birds that you are going to die bird. You get a bird. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone gets a bird. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> That's funny. <Yep. laughs> we don't want to do that. Yeah. So, okay, so you talked about the upland game bird stamp and you know and, and that being where the funding for this comes from um it's popular as hunters to say and, and this don't get me wrong army f uses this term very well uh, in some instances but i feel like that the phrase um hunting is conservation gets thrown around a lot nowadays and in some scenarios yes through Pittman robertson or dingle johnson and you know upland game bird stamps like you're talking about now but i feel like we're kind of past that point where that's enough you know as the as the non-hunting population grows and we get smaller and smaller our dollars go less and less as far right we're buying less and less stuff or not less stuff but just per capita probably the same but there's more capitas right okay so (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense and slippage in a little bit slippage in there but (laughs) we're not letting you live out down i don't i think that like the hunting is conservation is like a good starter point but like hunting really isn't conservation so much more than that like you have to be an active steward i think and i think that just hunting and just buying your stamp or your license or, or buying your ammo and saying oh nine percent of that went to conservation I'm, i feel good about myself that's not enough anymore yeah. and i feel like if we want to preserve this save the habitat save the hunt like you're talking about you know pass it on to the next generation you're going to have to start doing more and you're going to have to take this seriously like if this is a culture that you want to perpetuate mm-hmm. yeah well i think it just depends on what you mean by hunting, right? So the way my father, you know, showed me through his actions what hunting was, it wasn't just going out into the woods and, and harvesting an animal, mm-hmm. right? It was working all summer to prepare your, your land or plant your chufas for the spring turkey season. You know, oh, that's a, never mind. That's a, <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm, I'm showing my South Alabama feathers here. But, uh, you know, it, it meant being out in the woods, doing conservation work, and it also meant growing this tribe, this community of sports people and passing on the sport. So to mm-hmm. him, hunting was never just and if it was it was when he was in his teens and even then he was doing it with his father it was a family type communal type experience so yeah i would say you're absolutely right if hunting just means to you sneaking out by yourself harvesting an animal and never telling anybody else where your where your honey hole is Mm -hmm. you don't want anybody else getting into the sport because you might lose it obviously yes you are buying a hunting license and we appreciate it and it's dollars for annie's you know habitat work I agree with you. That's probably not conservation equally. It doesn't mm-hmm. equal conservation. On the other hand, if you view hunting as a year-round active conservation lifestyle where you're bringing other people into the fold to, to try to mitigate the amount of hunters we're losing from the population every year, uh, then, yeah, I would say, sure, hunting is conservation. But hunting has to be a year-round, out-of-season experience for you and your family and the tribe around you. It has to be a culture, not an action. Right, absolutely. It can't just be a one-day-in-deer-season type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I like it. I feel like like that generations that preceded us, a lot of them not probably like your family. I mean, um, it was just something you did because you needed meat, you know, and like – I mean, and we come from a culture in East Texas of subsistence hunting. Yes, like, people right. did that. My granddad's generation. That's what I was thinking yeah. of. Anyone call him out on the podcast or anything? But, <laughs> but you know, his generation, for yeah. sure. Not that not that Pop's like that. But, like, yeah. um, you know, 
that it was it was just something you did, and because it was just for meat. Whereas now we have supermarkets and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was just for meat, a lot of people did it. Well, right. the need's not there anymore. And as you guys know, fast food restaurants are everywhere. People don't have time for things. They don't have time to volunteer for NWTF. Right. You know, right. like um, the culture now has gone to you know, well, get my get my food and it's going to be super processed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I'm not just going to just going to think about it. You know, whatever. And I'm going to because I got things to do. My boss is all you know all up on top of me trying to get me to do something. And so. Um, I think that um, it's, it makes it, it definitely makes it a, a battle for us uh, because we're starting to figure out that hunting is not convenient anymore. Right. You know, um, it's not something that really gives you everything you need when you can get everything you need mm-hmm. pretty so, much now. Uh, on that, uh, what's the National Wild Turkey Federation doing to make hunting more convenient? What about access? I feel like that's where we lose a lot of people is on the access. I mean, I know a bunch of people like from high school in my general area, you know, and even in college, it's kind of different because you're all compiled in one big city, you know, but you get it. Like access is limited, especially in our part of the state and in the state of Texas Texas. in general. Yeah. I mean, what are we 2% huntable public lands or less, you know, like 1.7 or something like it's not to get depressing here, but like access (laughs) is tough, you know? So like, how how do we increase that? How, How do you like, for instance, there's, these great states in the Midwest that have all these walk-in hunter access programs, I would love to have some of that access around here, you know, but we just don't, we have a little bit of it, but like, it's not common. Like how, how do we perpetuate that make that grow? Well, so not only does Annie do habitat work, but she does save the hunt work too on some of our public lands. She can talk a little bit about some of our recent projects from last year. One of our big projects was on Lake Ray Roberts public hunting land. Uh-huh. And we had $75,000 from from our state super fund and Texas Parks and Wildlife where they gave us the money to go in and rehabilitate basically some access areas. So we worked on seven access areas, redid the parking lots, added new fencing, added new signs, made it way more accessible mm-hmm. for a wide variety of people. And that was and then it went it was so successful that they gave us another fifteen thousand dollars to do several more access areas. So this is planning to be on an ongoing project in the future and that was just year one sure but we're also lucky in texas because we have three private lands leasing biologists that work for us yeah for nwtf really yes and Hmm. so this year alone they gave access or gained access to twenty thousand acres plus another another fourteen thousand with texas parks and wildlife so there was thirty four thousand acres total of private lands that were open leases for public hunting. Mm-hmm. For turkeys in particular? For, 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 for anything. anything. For, so, there were pronghorn, there were yeah. quail, there were dove. And because but there's still yeah. private ownership? Yeah, yes. but, yeah. but for, the, for the $42 or whatever it is that you pay for your public lands permit, mm-hmm. you have access to those private lands that are being leased through this program yes. as well. And again, that's just that's your NWTF and your Pittman-Robertson dollars at work for having those people on staff to court those landowners, to walk them through the process, to incentivize the program. And uh, so, yeah, you're, you're 
monies that we're raising at these local banquets are turning around being leveraged by people like Annie and are getting you into more places in Texas. Culturally, Texas is not a place where people want other people on their land. Yeah, no. And Texas was <laughs> Texas tried door knocking a little bit around here. It because people wanted their own land and they didn't want anybody else on it. That's right. And so we have to, as hunters, we have to work around that culture a tad. But uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. but anyway, that's Texas. That's, yeah. what, that's what it is. Yeah. It's tough, man. So that's cool. So I feel like, you know, land is a set commodity, right? We only have so much land. And I think... I kind of think that what you do is NWTF um, is you, there's not there's never going to be a lot more land to access, right? But if you can improve the access that you already have, like you're talking about with Ray Roberts, mm-hmm. and improve how many birds are in that place, and improve the quality yes, of the experience. Yes, that's a big thing. I think. Like if you can, like for instance, like some of the turkey hunts we've been on, like it was fun. Don't get me wrong, we love being in the woods, but you don't see a lot of birds, right? But if you can improve that, that's also access, right? Yeah. To me, to me, that's a huge deal. Like, uh, I mean, we, we've seen family members and friends and, and such start to kind of follow our journey and therefore go hunt some public land or yeah. something like that yeah. and have very little success. So we had, we had little success and we put a lot of work into it this year. Um, and, to me, if you are you know, luckily like we have grown up in a hunting culture, hunting families, um, and we, I feel like you know we've put a lot of work into it, so we know, okay, well maybe it was just this that didn't happen for us that day. So you know we can we can kind of decide like okay, well we did this wrong or whatever. Well, if you're a first year hunter or whatever, you don't have a clue what you did wrong. You don't have a clue what you did right if it happens for you, right. and so. Uh, I mean, even for me, a guy who's hunted my whole life, just about how many times did I get depressed out there this year? How many times did we go? I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> about about ninety nine percent. So, you know, like you go out there and you and you sit in a perfect spot. You've got like trail camera info where your deer are showing up almost every day, and somehow you know the wind's perfect for you. It's blowing back over a creek or whatever. You know, there's no way they could have winded you, and you don't see a deer, and it's like. I don't know what, what, you know, like what's happening here. And if I, I just, I told him, I was like, if I think about it and I was a first or second year hunter, I would not do this again. That's the mm, absolute yeah. truth. I mean, I, I would not do this again. I'd be like, what's so fun about this? I froze my butt off in the stand all <laughs> yeah. day and didn't see a single thing, mm-hmm. but it's a couple squirrels, you know, and just, man, that's, it's frustrating. So I think like, um, especially on public lands because public lands is the best access for people who don't have funds, you know? And so I think improving the, number of game animals on those public lands is yeah. a huge deal for me, you know. Yeah. Well, I know I wouldn't have gone hunting at Lake Ray Roberts if that's what the access sites looked like because there was trash everywhere. Mm-hmm. We found dead dogs, needles, <laughs> old TVs. Ooh. It was awful. It's just, and when people see that there's mattresses and TVs and trash on the ground, they're like, oh, okay, we can dump here. But mm. if it's well taken care of, it looks right. nice. There's nice signs, nice kiosks then people are going to be more likely to use it and take care of it mm-hmm. and recognize that as one of their own resources mm-hmm. because it is public land, and then it will be better for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Talk about that first-time hunter. If they show up now after the work that Annie and her partners have done to make those access, and they see that sign that's basically saying, you know, welcome hunters, this is for you, mm-hmm. then they realize the whole idea of public lands in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yep. This mm-hmm. is for you. You own it. You, you own it just like Annie does and just like Tyler and everybody. I mean... That 
that's a pretty cool American idea to me. And, sure. and so when, when you walk in and you see this, this nice parking spot and a little directory billboard that says who sponsored the work and that sort of thing, it makes me as a first-time hunter think, okay, I'm doing at least something right. I'm in yeah. the right spot. Well, I mean, you sat there and prepped for however many months to get ready to go hunting. You bought gear. It's all yeah. nice and new. And then you show up to a dump, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Well, I don't know, this is my land? You know, like, <laughs> it's kind of not like anything I own, you know. Mm-hmm. I take care of my stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I totally, I totally get that. Plus, uh, I mean, how many people are probably worried that their truck's going to get broke into or sure. something while Absolutely. they're out there, you yeah. know what I mean? And uh, that's that's another big and, deal. Uh, even if they aren't successful because you're walking a fine line like you don't want to make it easy for people because then it's like a facsimile of what hunting really is right Right. Uh, you don't want to like overstock an area with animals and then it's like oh this is pin shooting you know like this is not the same thing (laughs) but at the same time if you can go and make their experience enjoyable like be able to park your truck like where you're going you see 17 squirrels 3 rabbits and 14 cardinals while you're out there (laughs) like it's a great experience it's fun and that's what hunting is all about and you know if we're encouraging people to get out with other individuals and go enjoy you know hunting culture as opposed to like making all the emphasis on the harvest or on the kill then we're getting somewhere so it's an experience yeah i guess to kind of i I hate to just like pose this is a such a like conservation thing to do but just pose like (laughs) something that's terrible like we talked about earlier you know and like just leave it at that like well it's just (laughs) yeah okay well there's the problem you know I I, i don't know maybe it's you know just who i am but i'm always trying to come up with a logical answer so what what is the state or NWTF doing to manage those lands? Obviously, probably a lot of them need slash and burn. Mm-hmm. I know I know for a fact a lot of the lands we've been on needs quite my, a bit of burning. G, my, I mean, my britches tell me they yes, do. Yes, they're torn up with Greenbrier, <laughs> yes. you know. So, I mean, do you, do you guys have a clue what what uh, how the state is going to? You know, do they plan to manage that stuff a little better from a burning standpoint? Well, little by little, we're chipping away at it. Mm-hmm. We have a five projects going on with the Forest Service down on um, Angelina Sabine and Sam Houston National Forest. We have this big project going on with Caddo LBJ. We're working on several. I think we have 18 WMAs that we're working on in the state. Plus, we also have several private lands projects going on. We have our Northeast Texas Conservation Delivery Network just started a habitat incentive program where people can apply for money from Texas Parks and Wildlife. It's administered through us the Turkey Federation, where people can apply to have habitat management stuff done on their property. And mm-hmm. so last year we had seven different projects, mm-hmm. and we spent $140,000 on private land wow. to That's help awesome. people purchase native seed, mulch, herbicide, yeah. burn. Is there a homepage that. for that? You know, I don't know if there's a website yeah. or not. We'll for try that. to link what, something to that because that's the, super cool. What are the requirements for, because, you know, that could. I feel like that could be kind of a maybe not super likable idea for people who are maybe anti-government a bit, you know? <laughs> right. Well, we came across that a lot last year, but since people were signing the agreement with us, the National Turkey Federation, they were mm. way more inclined okay. to do this and accept this money to help mm. them. And Very so cool. the, the private land has to be a sizable chunk, I would imagine. There's right? a ranking system for that, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a, the, a request for proposals just came out, and you can talk to your local yeah. uh, private lands biologists with Texas Parks and Wildlife. They're the ones that should be mm. administering those. Um, they would help you come up with a habitat management plan if you don't have one already on your property. And then they would help you write this proposal to submit to, it's with National Wild Turkey Federation and the Lower Mississippi Alluvial Valley Joint Venture. Um, and so... Were they at the TRCPN? 
Yes, I actually, they, they did a presentation. Yeah. That's right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And so we're working all together to get this this habitat incentive program. And since it was so successful last year, Texas Parks and Wildlife has agreed to give us another hundred and sixty thousand. I think it. No, 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 no. That's that's wrong. What's 60 plus 60? 120,000. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't I clocked out a while ago. Oh, that's good. Uh, a large sum. So yeah. they gave us another 120,000 to mm-hmm. put directly into private lands. Yeah. yeah. To get the burning done and get the native season, mm-hmm. seeds planted. And mm-hmm. That's all awesome. That. I mean, so uh, that so made, we're chipping away at it. Right. And, and obviously, that they're putting a high priority on, on private lands as being a big part of the conservation effort mm-hmm. within this. I mean, especially since it's Texas and we have mostly private That's land. right, yeah. and it may sound weird to people who are outside of Texas, your listeners all across the country, but in Texas, again, we're talking about if we're going to do work on the land, then we private. Some <laughs> of it has to be. It has oh, sure. to be. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously what's good for a turkey next door is obviously good for your turkeys on your property mm-hmm. too. So, uh, and, and that same goes for Bob White's to Whitetail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So if we've inspired somebody or somebody uh, just has their volunteerism just on fire, yeah. How can they uh, kind of put that to action? What, what can they do? Yeah, well, so wherever you're listening, you can go to nwtf.org, uh, click the, you know, events, get involved tabs. There's all kind of great information there about the habitat work we're doing and how to get involved and save the habitat, save the hunt locally. Obviously, if you're right here in East Texas, you can holler at me, send me an email at jharris at nwtf.net. And I can let you know where your nearest uh, local chapter is. And if for some reason there's not one real close by, um, you know, you can help us start one in your own local community. But we're pretty well spread out across East Texas, and uh, and we can plug you in with the great volunteers we've already got going there. I'll say that, you know, people, are, the same people who complain to me about not having any time, uh, you know, particularly people between the age of like 12 and uh, 12. <laughs> well, yeah, very busy 12-year-olds. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> between the age of like 20 to 40. Yeah. Um, I would say they, you know, they say, I don't have any time. And then they also say, I have a really hard time meeting people in, in my age group, you know, between 20 and 35 or 20 and 40 or whatever. This is a great opportunity to meet people who yep. care about similar things as you. You know, if you've got young kids or, or whatever and you're looking for a way to get involved with your whole family, something like this is great. You know, have them, have them help you do something like this. And they can come to our committee meetings and come to our banquets and uh, – and it, it's a cool thing. So, yeah, that check mm-hmm. the website, nwtf.org. Shoot me an email, Harris at nwtf.net, and that'll cool. be in your notes, I'm hoping. Yeah, for sure. We'll put it in the notes <laughs> right underneath this podcast. So if you're listening, do that. Anything uh, you got to add to that as a plug for yourself or the National Wild Turkey Federation? Well, if we have a ton of projects going on in East Texas. It's a gold mine for conservation. Mm-hmm. And if you have any ideas, if you want to know where our projects are, if you want to know what we've got going on, you can contact me at Farrell at nwtf.net and i will definitely fill you in on anything that's going on and i'll, I'll put that in the notes as well you can go to, cool. also you can go to nwtf.org and mm-hmm. the in your area tab yeah and you can find all the contacts for texas cool so, so you or have the, any other state <laughs> yeah and, and, you, and you have the chance to be if you're a texan which a lot of you guys out there listening are um you have a chance to be a part of like a pretty epic conservation story you know what i'm saying this is where texas is on the forefront yeah no doubt the rest of the country has already done all of this and we're 30 years behind (laughs) but we are getting there but we're the cool kids at the table right there no doubt i mean right now we're doing the fun stuff yeah we're the ones that are releasing the turkeys out of boxes and re-establishing you guys don't know but how fun would it have been to grow up with turkeys to kind of hunt every once in a while you know what i'm saying i mean we didn't 
I didn't have much, you know, private land to hunt deer on around here. We always hunted out of state because it was easier to find land for cheaper, you know, or whatever. But uh, as far as big game goes, I wasn't doing it in high school. I was pretty much a waterfowl hunter, you know, because mm-hmm. there was public lakes. And uh, and so to have turkeys, you know, you, you can't – it's hard to it's hard to convince somebody to go, hey, let me come shoot one of those Bambies on your property. And whether or not they're – that kind of person or not it's still like this big animal that you're taking off my property you know mm-hmm. uh, whereas a turkey's kind of like a it's kind of big for us but it's kind of also like it's like this little bird for some people you know so I, I feel like it it's one of those gateway species that could kind yeah. of really help people get into hunting it could uh, help you to get onto a property to maybe eventually hunt uh hunt deer on that property you sure. know or whatever and it would have been awesome just to you know, see a see a flock as you're running through a coastal Bermuda pasture one day. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, shoot them with a shotgun or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of it, and I know that's what we're working for. Yeah, you're working. We want to get there. So what what's the uh, consensus, or what's the wh- you know, where are you at as far as uh, your hunting um, of turkey? Like, where are you gonna? When are you gonna? get into that me personally yeah i'm hoping to go this year are you all right i know we didn't say it on the podcast but i'm i've never hunted turkeys and i feel like i need to yeah if i'm gonna be a turkey biologist i need to go turkey hunting have you been there for like the experience or anything like just not no no so you've never it's another one of those things where i just have never had the opportunity i didn't get into hunting until i was in college and i hunted for four years before i got my first deer yeah Mm -hmm. And so I've been in it because I want to be in it, yeah. even though some right. of the experiences you, weren't the best. <laughs> did anybody kind of push you into that, or was that just all you? It was all me, really, in college, and I was surrounded. I've got a wildlife degree, and so I was surrounded with people that hunted, and I had always wanted to go, and luckily I had friends that were willing to take me and mm-hmm. help me figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So if you don't, I've never had someone, though, that turkey hunted mm-hmm. and has taken me to do that but yeah. i'm gonna go this year awesome we have a lot of turkeys in the state just yeah <laughs> not where we live hey, yeah. i bet she's yep. uh, got some context i bet she does <laughs> i know where the turkeys are I bet you do. Uh, well we just released them here i have so a location <laughs> yes exactly yeah. <laughs> should be so, easy to call in too yeah well i know y'all are busy folks and uh got a lot of stuff going on um but uh is there anything you want to leave us with uh just kind of as a final thought well, first of all jackson oh. are you a musician yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. What's I do. up, bro? I do pick and sing a little bit. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. What about a plug for that? Uh, there we yeah, go. Yeah, I get around East Texas from time to time. Not all of my songs are turkey-themed, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If they are, I'll go listen to them. Yeah, if you ever, if you ever see a, a chalkboard somewhere that says uh, Asa J. Harris is playing somewhere, that's, that's me. Cool, man. But, uh, yeah, no, save the habitat, save the hunt. That's, that's what Annie and I both work on day in and day out. And the more people we can get, you know, as a member of the flock, you know, we'll we'll take them. Yeah. Is that a company thing? Member of the flock? I yeah, we, like we say it. welcome to the flock yeah. a lot. It's kind of what we do. That's cool. I like it. So when people, like, join your street team for your music, is that flock as well? Or what do you call yeah, them? Well, we're still working. If you want to be the uh, president of the flock, you can be. Because that position is open. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a following big well, enough to have to worry about what we would said, call it. Yeah. <laughs> you said tribal ago, and I saw his ears perk up. Because his yeah. band's called Todd and the Tribe. Yeah, He's like, oh, sure. I like it people say tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Yeah, so now we can go through if there's anything else. I guess you kind of plugged what you want. Anything you want to leave us with? I think Jackson hit it on the head. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys doing this. I'm about to order a pizza. Thanks, guys. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it smells good. It does. <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Guys. Absolutely.
Well, I'm a little bit more ready to turkey hunt after that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, now they, they got me thinking, got me uh, a little pumped. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was a uh, cool interview for sure. Cool atmosphere where, there where we were at. And um, I don't know. I just, um, I love turkey hunting. And I guess last year we had such a tough time mm-hmm. on public here in, in Texas that like it kind of got us to this point where we were like, man, this is frustrating, mm-hmm. you know, because you're just – I don't know. One thing that's hard for me is like I can justify going and spending money and not shooting something Mm -hmm. if I'm chasing that animal and having a good time the whole time. Mm -hmm. When I'm going to have a good time either way most of the time. But if I'm not, if I don't like, if I don't have an animal to chase and I'm just walking through the woods for three days, like chasing ghosts, that can be kind of tough, you know? Yeah. So. It can. I mean, that's why elk hunting's fun because you still like you hear that faint bugle or something like that, and you're like, ah, oh, there's some here, you know. And then, gosh, when you go, you know, two or three days without seeing a gobbler or hearing a gobble, it, it gets pretty depressing. Yeah, but especially when you're what, talking about like the payoff being like four pounds of meat, you know. Or <laughs> but it's the experience you're chasing. You yeah, know? oh, and for I, sure. And for I sure. want that still, so I'll bet I'll probably still find a way to make it or yeah. make the hunt happen this yeah. year at least, which. You know, I'm not going to lie, I'm not a very experienced turkey hunter. I'm still learning how to do stuff. You know, I don't quite understand, like, how you treat turkeys that are on the roost or that kind of thing. So I'm just kind of – it was cool to talk to them and at least learn a little bit about, hey, there actually might be more turkeys out there than what you think there are, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. They they have a way of not letting you know they're there for such a vocal animal sometimes, yeah. you know. yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I uh, appreciate those guys coming on and doing this with us. And um, I guess last thing I would say here is uh, make sure, you know, if, you, if you're enjoying this kind of stuff, the stuff we're putting out, um, we would appreciate a review on iTunes or on Facebook. And uh, that's my plug. There you go. And then uh, also make sure that you're paying attention to our YouTube channel this time of year because a lot of cool stuff coming out. Just because it ain't hunting season doesn't mean we're not putting out content. So, yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that uh, the uh, Small Game Saturday PLC has been doing pretty good. People has have it? liked that pretty well. Yeah. So if you hadn't seen that, go check it out. We shoot a couple uh, couple of uh, – or I guess we shot one rabbit and a couple squirrels. I missed a rabbit. Yeah, you missed a rabbit. Shot well, out a rabbit. I, I wouldn't have missed him if it wasn't for the tree. Let's just go yeah. ahead and get that straight. <laughs> Those darn cedar elms. Yeah, I was all over him. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those guys are crazy. But <laughs> anyway, um, I guess anything else? That's all I know. Okay, that's all I know, too. So thank you all for listening. God bless you. And remember, this is your element. Living it. But do you recall... The most famous reindeer of all. T. Jones, the red-nosed reindeer, had a very rough raw nose. (laughs) I've noticed you switched to toilet paper (laughs) instead of all those paper towels. (laughs) I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little 
backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. 